What is one thing you're grateful for? For being alive. What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan. Today's an extra special treat because I was just on an amazing show. I don't think it's published yet. It might be by the time that you're listening to this. And it's called My Wake Up Call. And who I is a new friend of mine now is on today because I was just on his show. He's amazing. I just want to say that. And with that type of a preface here, I'm gonna ask you to share this with three people today because the way that we're gonna dive into a lot of things today is gonna to touch your heart. I know that it will and here's why because Mark is originally a UCLA professor of psychiatry for over 25 years. He's also a formal, former FBI and police hostage negotiation trainer. That's interesting. I want to ask him about that too. And his expertise has been forged and proven in the crucible of real life, high stakes situations. No joke. Been a facilitator for Fortune 500 companies. And he currently lives in Los Angeles, California. And you need to also check out his podcast, My Wake Up Call. And we'll talk about that more at the end but mark golston welcome my friend well we are becoming friends and uh, it's, it's so great to be on it's so great to be on i agree thank you so much that's how i felt you know after the the moments that i felt we shared in on your show when we recorded that i just it was a, an instant for me anyways it was an instant bonding and just uh able to reach each other's hearts it was we both cried when we were on your show yeah can you share moments or any of your recall as we go into this yeah absolutely absolutely and i'd love to thank you we uh and there are some things i'd love to ask you too because it's interesting you know being the former police hostage negotiation trainer you're also a suicide prevention specialist right that's uh and your book is just listen that's your latest one right oh jason just listens in 28 languages and it became a topic in the world i love it that's awesome uh, some of the moments that I remember from being on your show is I was talking about my dad and I still have my homework assignment. So this is a kind of a spoiler alert for anybody listening today. The, the Papa, can you hear me episode, the solo episode that I'm going to end up recording. And I remember as we were going through the, the two sides of me, because I've got the really energetic, confident side as I get up on stage, as I'm hosting the show, you know, I can come in strong, you know, just like a, like an African elephant, right? An African bush elephant. And, but then on the flip side of that, also, even with the same animal, it's interesting because I relate a lot to this is the soft and tender side. And you reference that as the oxytocin side and just the blending of those together or even leaning more so on the oxytocin side of me. That part of my personality is where I've always felt that I'm actually stronger and I'm able to reach more people rather than coming out of the gate super aggressive and energetic. You know, pretty much what everybody expects these days from people who are on stage. It's that persona, that larger than life, that big ego. And that was something as we were talking, I was able to open up about my dad and I really, really appreciated our conversation from diving into that side of things and just amazing to open my heart to you. You know, I've had a series of episodes in my wake up call with larger than life people. 
and I made an observation to them, I'd say, you know, if I was in an audience listening to you, I would be impressed. But I would say he can do it because he has courage. He can do it because he has uh, he's larger than life. I'd be impressed. I'd be entertained. But I might leave thinking it won't work for me because I don't have his courage. And one of the things I've been asking people on my wake up call, I say, you know, the problem with that is if you want people to get results and they think you're getting results because you have the strong persona. Uh, you may actually reach more people if you can share about things that you need to get better at. And what's happened now, <laughs> I've interviewed some amazing people, and I'd say, what is something you can get better at? And to a one, they say, oh, when you look under the hood, it's a mess. <laughs> when, when you look inside my mind, the stuff that I keep juggling as fast as I can and thinking I'm going to be dropping plates everywhere. Yeah. I don't know how I do it, but whenever it's game time, everything comes together. But boy, uh, you know, and then there's also a theme. Uh, and I'm bringing it up because of the Papa Can You Hear Me suggestion. What some of them have been saying is, I don't get emotionally close to people. I like people, but, uh, and, and I don't dwell on it because I have, I'm filled with activity. I'm filled with goals. I'm filled with all kinds of things. Distractions. Distractions. And one of the things I've been asking people who have all this high energy, how do you tell when you're running towards something or running away from something? <laughs> I love it. And, it. and it's unclear. And I'll share one. I'll, I'll actually mention something and people might want to listen to this episode uh, because I become friends as I'm going, uh, as I, I'm uh, hoping uh, 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 Rick and I become. Uh, I interviewed a fellow named Chip Conley. Chip Conley's very well known. He had a, a, a group of hotels called Joie de Vivre Hotels. He sold them. Yeah. Then he was one of the early Airbnb people, made a lot of money. And then, and then he pivoted some years ago into something called Modern Elder Academy because he said, you know, I reached a point where I didn't have the financial insecurities, but I wasn't happy. I had five friends who died by suicide. I had depression. I could be suicidal. I had everything. And, uh, and, and he said, I realized I had achievers disease. Huh. And one of the things we brought up, which he sort of heard, but then it landed, you know, days later, and he actually wrote a blog about it at Modern Elder Academy. And I said, there's a possibility that you have something that we call the syndrome of disavowed yearning. And oh. he said, what, is, what does that mean? I said, it's quite possible that when you were young, you know, we're pretty complete when we're in the womb. But when we get out of the womb, we're not complete. We cry, we get scared, we're hungry, uh, someone has to hold us. And we don't communicate as well after we're born than before we're born. You know, your wish is your, your mom's placenta's command. And what happens is uh, we not only need to be fed and, uh, uh, and dressed and whatever, uh, we need an emotional connection to feel whole. And when we don't get it, and it hurts, and we're powerless to get it, we can convince ourselves we don't need it. And if we happen upon something called achievement, 
that's pretty neat. You can run with achievement for 45 years and think this is great and I'm buying stuff and people are smiling and this is terrific. But then there can be a point around 45, 50 where you say, you know, it's all the same and something's not right. And what's not right is that achievement was a way of coping with a desire inside to feel complete, which you didn't feel because, because of the lack of connection emotional, psychological, and uh, uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it really dawned yeah. on him. And, and so, uh, in fact, he wrote a blog. He said, you know, we not only want to focus on what we're earning, we want to focus on what we're yearning for. Oh, that's beautiful. I love how you're talking about, too, instead of running away from something, the right perspective is really running towards something rather than... Uh, you know, shoving something out of your life or destroying something, why why don't you focus on creating something instead? Well, the point is to create something, you have to create it from a place of somewhere. Hmm. What do you and, mean by that? Well, there's something that uh, has really brought my whole life full circle uh, in the past six months. In fact, uh, I started a company. It's in beta. We have a website and it's called Michelangelo Mindset. And Michelangelo had this quote. He said, I saw the angel in the marble and I uh, kept carving until I set it free. And it's a whole anti-transactional way of succeeding. So for instance, uh, I've been working with an international accelerator and uh, and we're re I'm releasing a course to them in the next couple of days called My, uh, Pitch and Succeed Like Michelangelo. What does that mean? These are, these are startups who are now needing to get investors and they're out of friends and family money. And I said, inside every investor, just like inside every piece of marble from Michelangelo is someone who wants to give you their money. They don't want to just sit on the money. And what you need to do is eliminate everything that gets in the way and then free them to give you the money. And one of the problems is when you come on too strong with your technology and your great idea, every startup has a great idea. Oh yeah, truth. The more pushy you are with it, the more you're communicating hunger, desperation, and anxiety, and you think you're communicating passion, excitement, they see that everywhere. So I'll give you a taste of this because it made, it made, I've done four cohorts now. And so the CEO said, you got to put together a course for us because they, they just want more of you. So here's sort of a taste of it. And hopefully you'll get it. And hopefully your listeners yeah, you will enjoy this. Um, so if you're pitching to an investor investors and they smile after a few minutes, how often do you think that's a yes but then at the end, it turns out to be a no. See, what happens is investors don't smile because it's about money. Hmm. Now, now, you know, you can try humor, which is always chancy. So when an investor is smiling three minutes into your presentation, more often than not, the smile is they're thinking, 
I already don't want to invest in this. And they put so much time into the deck for me to say, I've seen enough. No, thanks. I'm going to sit here and smile and try to be polite, but I'm not interested. But they put so much time and money into this deck. I should at least sit through a few more slides. And if you've been in the and if you think that that smile is a yes, then you expect at the end of your presentation that they're going to follow it up with when can we, can we get started? Mm -hmm. But they don't. So here's how you do a a uh, it's what we call a mono Ginobili euro step pivot. If you know anything about wow. the NBA, mono Ginobili was well known for this uh, for this pivot that he does where he goes towards the uh, basket there's a defender and so he'll step to the defender's right the right will sort of lean towards the right and then he steps to the left and goes around the defender and makes the layup it's called the euro step so what i'm teaching these startups is that's what you need to do with investors because a euro step you don't lose momentum you just you just pivot in that way so here's what the pivot looks like and it feels just like a euro step. They're smiling and your experience tells you it's not a yes. And you say exactly this in this tone. You've got to be firm. You, you say, can we pause for a moment? They're going to go, what? Yeah, yeah. Can we pause for a moment? And they're going to be nervous because they're going to think, uh-oh, he's caught that I'm already done with him. He's caught me already. Yep. My smile isn't working. You know, uh-oh, my rudeness is going to come up. And, and so you're, you've disarmed the investor and they'll say, what's this about? And you say, when we started, and actually uh, you can do it as a visual, even on Zoom, you put your hands together and you say, when we started the conversation, we were like this. Here's you. You're the investor with money. Here's a company that needs money. We're now like this. Here's an investor with money. And here's a company that's not going to see any of it. My company. <laughs> and so you've totally mesmerized them and they go, go, huh? You could say, so what happened is at the beginning, you were looking for and listening for something and we didn't deliver it. We did our best to present what we thought were the parameters that were interested to you, but clearly we missed it. So rather than going through the rest of the slides that you're not interested in, can you tell me what you were listening and looking for? that had we presented it to you, you know, we would have kept your attention. And so you're in, without being controlling, you're in charge of the conversation. Oh yeah. And then they might say something and then, and, and if they're stalled because you've taken charge of it, you can say, can I tell you what other people have told me? And they'll say, yeah, other investors could say, what we've heard from some other investors is what they were looking for and listening for was something that was going to be a big win to make up for some of the investments that didn't work out. And they were, and, and does that make sense to you? Of course, they're going to nod. Yes. Can you share with me some of the big wins that you or someone else at your company brought in? And what were some of the parameters now that you think made it a winner? You know, because we might have some of those, we just didn't have them in the deck. Uh, but I'll tell you, even if we don't have them, I know 15 other startups. I could introduce you to two or three that might fit. I'll send you some links and then one of those startups and you can go happily into each other's future. So what you've done, you have turned a conversation with an investor that was just about over 
into you pivoting, focusing on their success and also the success of two or three other companies that you know in your cohort, you fit them together and guess what? You have a relationship with all of them. You can go back to all of them for future conversations. So can you see how that sort of an interesting approach with Michelangelo pitching? Very interesting. I mean, Mark, when you and I started this episode, you know, we were right here together. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and now, you know, here's me and now here's Mark. And then here's, I'm, I'm joking with you, but yes, I'm tracking with you. That's, that's incredible because any part, uh, an investment pitch, any kind of a pitch is a sale. If you're not selling a product, I mean, you're really selling yourself in any kind of a pitch, you know, not even necessarily the idea that you have. It's really the confidence, at least I've felt in my experience, that they have in you to, to guide this, to steer this, to launch it into the future, because you could have all the parameters in the world that might match them, but at the same time, that in and of itself, keeping control of the quote-unquote sale or the pitch in this aspect is something that will throw people off guard. And it's something that I've trained my people in sales a long time, but straight up not as eloquently as that. That's incredible. You know, you're so you're so wrong because so if you're listening in, uh, yes, you know the idea is okay. You know, you're not just going to go there and have nothing. But but Rick is uh, he's totally correct. What they're listening for is, can I trust this person? Bingo. Can I believe that they can do what they say they're going to do? And then also what they're listening for is confidence. And, and, and confidence comes from, I wonder what this person's track record is in previous ventures all the way in their life. Did they start projects in high school that they actually finished, that actually were, uh, were positive, were profitable, were popular? Uh, also, I'd like to know, Who's on his team? Because I know that if you have a team and you get the wrong people in the wrong place and there's conflict that you avoid because most millennial uh, uh, engineer type people are terrible with conflict, I want to make sure you don't have much conflict going on there because if you're with people who aren't doers and, pe and you're not confronting those situations, that can bring your company down. So I want to be able to trust you have confidence in you, have confidence in your team. I want to know why you have confidence in your team. I want to know what everybody's track record has been in their life because I want people to be doers who have already done something that made a difference as opposed to people who think they can do something, you know, uh, but haven't really uh, stood the test of time. Those are incredible points too, Mark, and everybody listening, Mark is dead on too. And when I look at, for example, my team that's on the board of my company that's going public, incredible track records, incredible achievements. But then I'll even ask questions around because I was selecting them, you know, and it, so it was almost like, even though they're amazing people, I mean, running billion dollar public corporations, because that's what I'm looking to build as well. So I need people who have been there because there, there's one thing that I look at them as a mentor as well and in a guide along this journey. And that's one reason why I selected them because they've already been there. But then when I looked at the track record, it's like, yeah, they've been there, they've had all these wins. But then I would also ask, okay, where'd you fall on your face? Because in what you're explaining, you know, and asking about the track record, for me also, it goes beyond the successes. It goes, how did you deal with the times you just ran into a wall? 
how did you deal with the times to where you had to take 10 steps backwards? You know, did you get back up again? Did you keep fighting forward? Did you see that as being the end and then just decided to start something brand new? Or did you want to see this thing through to the end? Just like you're saying with the high school projects and everything, because there's a, I can start checking off the failures in my life where I've, you know, very humbly just falling, fallen flat on my face, but still I even see those as forward movements because of the education that I learned from them. I think a good question to build on what you're saying, because, you know, because I think the more specific, the better the information I would say to people, look, we've all had failures in our life. Uh, what I'm looking for is what was your recoup time? Mm, bingo. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and a lot of times when we have failures, sometimes we go into a funk. Look, you're allowed to go into a funk if you lose a business or you lose a marriage, but uh, you need to get up and I need to see what your recoup time is because I need to uh, see that you're resilient. Also, a good question to bring up when you're building a team, one of my favorites, and I tell people to do this, you say, tell me about conflicts in your prior uh, uh, ventures. And, and it's very interesting because what you're really wanting to see is, are they people who can take responsibility for their part in the conflict? Mm, true. And if, and if instead you get someone where it's always someone else, oh, they did this, they did such and such. There's something that I call the three strikes that you do well uh, to, to use when you're hiring someone or deciding to marry someone. And so tell me about conflicts in the past. And they tell you about that. Uh, and then the second question is, how did you contribute to the issue? You know, what was your responsibility? So uh, if they still don't see, have a clue that they contributed, uh, they still get a third strike. And the third strike is going forward in the event that we have differences of opinions and conflicts, from your point of view, what's the best and fastest and most effective way to get through them? Wow. And and, and again, if they have no idea that they need to do something, I would look long and hard before I said yes to whoever that person is. Right on. That's completely passing any kind of responsibility in that. You know, and it's a more simplistic example, but there's a, there's a phrase I have in, in my business in cybersecurity, and it's five words, and it used to be four words, right? It's never trust a vendor. But then the word ever was appended to that <laughs> around five years ago or so. So it was never trust a vendor ever. And the whole basis of that is to put ownership and responsibility back on my team to drive the forward movements, even when it seems like you now require the actions on someone else on a third party to actually move a project forward. But it's the same in a relationship or whatever. It's like, what actions do you need to take and how can you manage that? Or how can you contribute, as you're saying, to the forward movement by as simple as just maybe making a statement or thinking it through and saying, what can I do tomorrow? I realize that the other party, you know, if it's a, a spouse, if it's a, a business partner, if it's a vendor has to take steps with me in this but it's not taking steps separately. It is taking steps with me in this. So what steps do I need to take simultaneously to them making their moves? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and you mentioned something. Let's, let's spend a little time on personal relationships because divorces, uh, family issues can really 
bring you bring you down to your knees can yeah. really be dis- disruptive so so in the Michelangelo mindset here's something that we've discovered that yeah, I, I I think I'll put a smile on your face and then you'll say hmm and we're calling it Michelangelo marriage and so again if you use the metaphor that inside uh, that Michelangelo saw an angel or the statue of David inside the marble and just freed it what we've discovered we have a quote marriages don't end because you stop loving each other they end because you stop feeling liked by each other wow that's a big wow because there's a lot of people who say we love each other we're devoted i think even if we got divorced if i got cancer he or she they they'd be by my bedside but we just don't like each other anymore that's heavy. I'm going to pull a word from the 80s. That's heavy. <laughs> yeah, and we don't and we don't feel liked by each other. I'll, I'll share an incident because I've been married 43 years because I test all this stuff on my own. And uh, and I said to my wife and, you know, we have a solid marriage, three grown children, uh, functional launch, three grandchildren. I mean, you know, I've, I've got the American dream of a functional family and my wife gets 120 percent of the credit. Uh, but I wanted to test this on my marriage and, and I got to test it because the other day we were driving past each other doing errands, you know, when we drive each other, you know, she'll wave and I'll wave in the window. And after she waved, I said to myself, boy, am I lucky to be married to her because she, you know, uh, I can create a house, but I can't create a home. And because of her, I've got a home. I'm not like some of my entrepreneurial friends who have this frenetic smile. Life is great. Oh, I got a new girlfriend. And, and, and we're in Bali. We're in Bali. You should, we're in Dubai. No masks. You should see. It's great. And the point is their smile doesn't touch their eyes because they're always on the run. But yeah. I get a home to go back to. But, but uh, and I shared that with my wife. I said, you know, I tried an exercise about our relationship out and she said, here we go again. And I said, no, I think you're going to like this one. This is going to end well. And I said, you know, when we were driving by <laughs> each other. How many times have you gone through that phrase? I'm <laughs> just joking, in 43 years. <laughs> and I said, this is going to, I said, when I drove, drive by you, my immediate thought is, boy, am I lucky to be married to you? You know, uh, you, you give me, I'm not a normal person, and yet I like to be able to come home to a, a home. And I said, now what we have to work on is when I come in from the front door and I got to get ready because we're going out, or did I bring the milk home? Or I did, you know, did, did I check off everything? You know, and then that, uh, that smile you put on my face when we're driving by each other can turn into something else. But the Michelangelo marriage thing is knowing that it's in there to eliminate all the stuff that gets in the way and that can build up. And if you're not as fortunate as my wife and I have been, uh, you can dig down and drive past your spouse and think to yourself, boy, am I trapped? Yeah. Which is something you don't want to feel. No doubt. For sure. This is hard hitting Mark and I love it. <laughs> that, that's good. Cause there's a, there's a lot of turmoil in the world. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's been happening this way. I, I don't think there's any, even through the past year and a half, what is this, a, a, you know, 18 months or so into a pandemic. And I don't feel that 
there's more necessarily more now stick with me here necessarily more turmoil than what there was i think ju- this just removed the thinly woven veil that was already there for the turmoil because i think it just stopped it from hiding that's really what it is you know and it brought to surface i mean especially with relationships because i feel that you can go through life you can go through you know a marriage you can go through a family and because you have and this is the running away right the escapes because you can dive into work you can dive into a hobby you can dive into anything else and avoid the thing that you don't like or the person that you don't like by these other things, right? They're distractions and that's still running away from things. And what this force, especially with the stay at home was now you're just sort of realizing that you're stuck because you're quite literally stuck inside the house now with this. And, you know, how do you help people with that? How have you helped people with that? You know, once that realization takes place that, wow, that this is just not a person that I like and I feel trapped now, I feel stuck where you don't want to make that wave as you're driving by each other on the highway. I'll tell you, I, I collect uh, insights and uh, quotes that sometimes just knock me for a loop. Um, uh, a friend of mine shared this insight with me and let, let me let me get the whole piece out because it was it's still the most profound insight that I've ever heard he said one of the things that we can't stand to feel is the true depth of our disappointment in anything because we're afraid if I realize how disappointed I am in my job, I'll have to quit and I, I need the job. If I realize how disappointed I am in my spouse, we'll have to get a divorce and I don't want to get a divorce. If I realize how disappointed I am in my child, I'll be this lousy parent who doesn't like his or her kids. If I realize how disappointed I am in me and my life, I don't know if I can exist. And here was the profound insight that my friend Maury Sheckman said. He said, uh, the way we, there's this two things we do to avoid disappointment, avoid feeling it, is we either shut down or we get angry. And I said, wait a minute, isn't that an expression of disappointment? He said, no, it's an avoidance of it. And then he did an exercise with me, which I'll share with you because I'm pretty open here. My dad died in 95 and he could be critical. I think uh, he, he probably lived in the fear of, can I support the family? And so he, he wasn't necessarily the most positive person. And, uh, and so I was meeting with this friend of mine and he said, you know, you know, I've heard you say certain things about your dad and, you know, uh, sounds like you might've been disappointed in him. And then without his prompting me, I said, well, he did the best he could. I mean, he came from a terrible childhood. He was much better than his own dad. And then, you know, Maury said, yeah, but it still sounds like you, you might have been disappointed in him. And, and then I made excuses for about three or four more volleys. And I said, well, I guess I was disappointed in him, but uh, because I didn't want to feel the disappointment and then be lost with the internal connection I still had with him. And then I finally said the words, I was disappointed in my dad and I was about to say something to take it away. And he said, stop. He said, repeat that. I was disappointed in my dad. And he said, just sit with it. And what was really interesting is 
I, it didn't sever any kind of thing. I felt this wave of sadness, like, why did it have to be that way? You know, what a waste of time. Because down deep, I know he was lonesome for a connection with his kids as much as we were with him. And so I think his advice is amazing that if you can allow yourself to stop and just say, what or who am I disappointed in? And just feel the depth of it. You don't even have to express it to anyone else. But it's, it's scary, but it's incredibly cleansing. Wow. I'm sure, I mean, that exercise is powerful. As you were talking, I almost started doing it with myself too. And then it's something I'm going to do later today and just review a couple things, even in my own life, you know, and even in my own self was I, I've been doing a lot of those kinds of things like mental and emotional releases lately too, around these exact scenarios, you know, what am I disappointed in my life? And then what do I want to create rather than stopping uh, or versus running away from something from here on out? What do I want to create? It's a positive direction rather than avoiding the negative. There's a distinct difference that's between those two. And that exercise that you're talking about, uh, is there, have you seen any individual that you've coached, talked with, or negotiated with even where, they will even avoid that because I'm hearing you and you said it took you four times to even uh, in the volleys to actually have this person say, stop right there. You know, how do you get to that point to where you're even ready for an exercise like this? Well, I, I think, uh, I guess the first thing is, and I trust you that you will think about it and try to apply it to yourself. But what I'm hoping is as I described it, that you tracked with me and you could feel that when I got to the end point, I felt relief. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and, and here's, here's a, an, another Michelangelo uh, nugget that I think was profound. So that was one of my favorite insights here. My favorite quote of all time. And this pushed all the other ones off the table comes from a woman, Dr. Shawnee Duperon, who has a, a program called Project Forgive. Mm -hmm. And she says, and, and the quote is, forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. Wow. He, she said that to me, and I went, wow. And then afterwards, I applied that uh, uh, to my dad. And one of the things I remember he used to say, he was good with numbers. He was an accountant, but, you know, he wasn't a salesy type person. And I think he was always worried, you know, uh, he didn't, you know, he worked for uh, a larger than life person. But I think he was always worried, you know, because he was good with numbers. And one of his, and I think whenever I would bring up any ideas, because I'm a creative, he would say to me, what makes you think you know anything about anything? Pretty dismissive. So after I heard what Shawnee said, forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. I not only went, wow, I applied it. And I received this apology from my father who died 26 years ago. Powerful. Wow. But I, what I heard him say to me is, remember when I used to say to you, what makes you think you know anything about anything? I was really talking about myself and not knowing much about things beyond numbers. And when you brought up things that you were right to bring up, I wish I had sent you to the neighbor's dad who knew a lot about that. But because I got 
triggered my insecurities, I shut you down. And I want to apologize to you because what you've done with your life, what you've become, what you've accomplished, much of which I wasn't around to see, you're an, you're an amazing son. I was blessed to bring you into this world. I don't know where I lucked out. And I imagine him saying that to me, which I know he would. And when I imagine him saying that to me, I apologized. I said, I'm sorry for holding a grudge against you. I'm sorry I had this chip on my shoulder. And I hope you're resting in peace. Mark, this may be the second time that we've cried together. <laughs> it's a good thing, good thing for friends to do. Yeah, you got that right. I appreciate your vulnerability. And everyone who listens, I know, will appreciate that too. There's a lot of apologies that people will never hear. They'll move on to different jobs, different relationships, different places on this earth, <laughs> and they'll never get that apology. Or they'll attend funerals and look down in disgust and in disappointment, but never allow themselves to feel it. They're never going to... I want to point out something to you, yeah. which your listeners will figure out. And when you watch this or listen to it, you just transitioned, your tone of voice just became NPR. <laughs> <laughs> this was that tone I was talking to you about when, when I would flip the camera around and just pause for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> a little NPR might be good for the show. Yeah, you got that right. Hmm. Wow, I don't know where to go from here, except that I appreciate this budding friendship that we have. And I think there's a lot that we have to explore together, too. And just, I'm just foreseeing into the future a little bit. But, well, what I, I'll tell you, what I'd be curious for, um, uh, I'll take a chance here. I may have said it before. I don't think I've ever said this in public, but it's around that time of day. Um, what is one thing you're grateful for? For being alive. And uh, it's not a cliche for me either, because I had some things wrapped up around my dad's death that I didn't deal with until about a year and a half ago. So where it, it was, I was caught up in those achievement mindsets. And if I didn't, achieve i would literally quite literally die and breaking that subconscious connection so it's now every day it's like the, i am very very grateful to be alive because i know that there's nothing that i can do or nothing that i really can do like there's not any amount of achievements that will allow me to stay living or really almost on life support is what it was where i was at about a year and a half ago and I'm grateful for that because I also know that in the future, and this is something I've never said in public too, because my dad died in 95 also 
I was 16 years old. You know that much that he died when I was 16. But the same year, I realized when you said that today, uh, he died in 95. And then his father, my grandfather, there was a divorce that, that happened and he never saw his dad around age 16 and after too, just like mm. me. So wrapped up into this when my dad passed was this very untrue story that I had thinking that I'm never going to be able to see my kids or my kids are not going to have a dad after they're 16. And after recognizing a lot of this to where I say now I'm grateful to be alive, I know now that that story is untrue. And now, so when I say I'm grateful to be alive, I'm grateful for the next 40 to 50 years of my life too. <laughs> because I will be alive. I will be around with my kids. I will be around for anybody else in my life that needs me. I will be around to help them build their legacies. And I get to sit back at some point and just not have the disappointment, but be able to tell them, it's like, I'm super glad that you surpassed me. <laughs> yeah. I'm a legacy builder, Mark. That's where I see myself. And mm -hmm. my dad was really the start of that as we talked on your show too. But what are you grateful for today in this time? Um, around this time of day on March 3rd of this year, I'm grateful for the same thing you are, but slightly different. On March 3rd of this year, at this time, my oncologist told me I wasn't going to die. <laughs> so I have lymphoma and I'm still healthy and will treat it when I become unhealthy. We get tests, but I feel an urgency to get anything I know out and to help people like you who could change the world. I feel a sense of urgency. Now that said, I want to be present and see my grandchildren every day. Sure. But, uh, but I don't take it lightly. So every time at this day, wherever I am at, wh whoever I'm with, I ask them what they're grateful for. And then I don't like to use the word, but I trump the hell out of them with mine. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, if you ever want, I'm, I'm thinking of scheduling all my tough negotiations for between, uh, for this hour, because when the time comes, if they're angry, I'm going to say, hold on to your angry. What are you grateful for? What? No, you can get angry afterwards. What are you grateful for? They've got no chance, Mark. They've got no chance. They're done. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Mark, I appreciate you. I know I've said it a million times now on the show, but I, I really do. And uh, if you're listening, where you find Mark is markgoldston.com and on Instagram at Mark Goldston. And his books, you need to pick them up. And if you want to DM me, you know, DM me what you're grateful for today and do that. And whatever Mark's collection is, uh, his entire works that he has, I'll ship you. I'm going to pick a random winner and send them all out to you because one, I want to support Mark, who's a, an amazing new friend of mine. And I also want to support you because Mark, you're right. This is the only reason why we exist in this world, right? Is to help other people to continue to accelerate society and culture. Absolutely. And I do, I have a, uh, a if you go to Himalaya.com, I have an audio course 
if you if I haven't put you to sleep and you find my way of un, uh, sort of dissecting things, you might find it interesting. And the course is called Defeating Self-Defeat because my first book was called Get Out of Your Own Way, which was a bestseller. And if you go to Himalaya.com forward slash defeat, and if you put defeat in the promo code, I think it's all capitals, D-E-F-E-A-T, you can listen to the 13 episode course about uh, various ways you can get out of your own way. And uh, uh, I'd also be interested, again, uh, you know, if any of your listeners want us to continue the conversation on any topic, and we'll just bat it around, I, I, I'd be open to that. But, you know, uh, I want to be yeah. respectful. You can only have so many guests on, uh, the same with me. <laughs> there, there's a there's a handful of guests, and I would love to have you included in that handful, if that's okay. To where I've done three, four, and even some with six episodes on too, just because of the 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 natural. It's almost the same wavelength, and yes, for sure. But Mark, that's an amazing gift to everybody too. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on, friend. <laughs> All right, friend. 